This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moore. So this week on the podcast, we have the brilliant Carl Harper. Carl is a director, a writer, and an actor, currently based in LA, but for the longest time, he was also Dublin-based. In terms of the work that he's done in Ireland, Carl's acted across all of Ireland's uh, biggest theatres. He's been Aikino, uh, Anglo, The Musical, uh, Shawshank Redemption at the Gaiety stage, uh, and he's also the director and the writer of the Helix Christmas Panto alongside uh, Claire Toy. Uh, that's where I met Carl, and we're c- just finished working together on Copperface Jackson Musical, um, which I know we're both really proud of. Um, um, and yeah, so it's been it's been just brilliant. Over in LA, which Carl has moved to, we talk about that a good bit on the podcast, but uh, one thing I would like to point you towards is a little short film that Carl did, and it's just really gorgeous. It's called What Do You Say? And I just thought it was really beautiful. Uh, and that's, he's been working on that kind of stuff more so in LA, because I mean, look, it's it's La La Land, it's the, it's the land of movies, and um, he's also writing a musical uh, called Men um, to be staged in London in, in, in the future. It's all very, very exciting. Um, there's, there's just loads of strings to this guy's bow, so it was a pleasure to finally get to sit down and do it as I said I'm currently on stage at the Olympia Theatre in Copperface Jackson Musical written by the brilliant Paul Howard and Carl's brought it to life and it's just got a great cast and crew behind it we're having the best time doing it and look I'm not going to lie to you I don't think I've ever been in something that's got this response from audiences like people just love it do you know what I mean people just jump to their feet it, it's kind of something for everyone, for people who don't go to the theatre, this is definitely one to go and see. And for people who do go, I think it's really nice because it's just a really, like, uncynical, you know, great night out. Like, that's literally what it is. It does exactly what it says in the tin. It's Copperface Jackson musical, and it kind of evokes them same feelings like that the nightclub does too you know people just love it for better or worse and we're having the best time doing it so come check us out at the Olympia Theatre until August 12th uh, other than that guys I'm going to shut up with me talking and uh, here is the brilliant Carl Harper playing personality bingo with Tom Moore. Carl Harper, ready to play Personality Bingo? Yes, I am. All right, sweet, let's do it. So a quick explanation of how it all works. I've got 60 minutes on the clock. I've got 60 bingo balls in here and 60 corresponding questions. I've also given you five numbers on that sheet of paper. Would you do me a favour and read out the five? 4, 19, 27, 36, 58. Nice one. And do me another favour and pick uh, a six number, something between 1 and 60 that's not already there. Okay. Do I tell you? Yeah, yeah. What are you going to go for? Number 11. Number 11? Yeah. Very I used good. to wear that when I played football. So. Is it, I thought it was going to be football related. Yeah. Where did you play? Were you like a winger? I was left wing. Left wing. Yeah. I was nice. a Ryan Giggs wannabe back in the day. Were you, were you any good? I, I reckon you could have been a good little footballer. I was. I was all right. Yeah. It wasn't. Wasn't too bad. I mean, it was. It was great for me because I was left footed. So even if I had been shit, I still would have got a game because yeah. left footed people are so you know. Uh, there's not too many of us around. Yeah. Do you get to play any football in LA? 
I did when I first went over um, five years ago. I joined this over 30s league, played with Celtic LA in, in an over 30s league. And uh, I played for a couple of years, but then I my groin, I had issues and all the rest of it. So I actually haven't played in about two and a half years, apart from, like I said, on uh Sunday, I played five aside and I've been dying ever since. Hobbling <laughs> around the place. Yeah, it's the I love playing. And do they play it different over there? Like, even just like, n- never mind even style. Or like, is it mainly Americans playing or is it people like expats and stuff? Um, no, it's a real mix, actually. Mm. Um, the, the team I was on, there was like, there was Americans, English, and Irish mm. mostly. But then there, there'll be other teams, like, there'll be like mostly kind of South Americans. Um, and then there's like an English team, we're known as the Irish team, and then there is, yeah, just all like Americans and yeah. Gas. Yeah. Quality That's isn't too bad actually. You yeah. Know, I, you know yourself, like I, I, I was half expecting it not to be great, but I was kind of pleasantly surprised. And even the guys who aren't that great, they're like really fit, which yeah. is, to be honest, a lot of it. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. You, all you have to do is kick the ball straight and then, I mean, you're going to be running past me anyway because I'm not fit at all. <laughs> Tough battle. Yeah, sweet. I should say, I should finish it off. Yeah. That if all six of them numbers do come up, that means the tables are turned and you get to ask me any question in the whole wide world. It's happen. never happened, but you could be. Here's hoping. Guy. All right. Um, so, yeah, let's give it a spin. Okay. All right, here we go. First out the gate is number 37. Do you have it? Uh, I don't. 36. No worries. Okay, so interesting way to start. Do you have brothers and sisters? And if so, where do you fit in terms of oldest to youngest? I am the youngest and I have uh, my sister is the eldest, Orla. Then there's two years apart, there's Bobby. And then two years apart is Gary. And then four and a half years later, I was the surprise. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) <laughs> it's always a weird thing when you try and like work out where you an accident. <laughs> Do you know? I what mean, I'm pretty sure I was because yeah. like there's a there's a nice consistent two year break, you know, between all of them, and then you know four and a half years later, I'm here, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I've never asked. I'm kind of afraid. To, like not that it matters, but what if you were a mistake? Yeah, I was the first to see, oh. so you don't really know. Well, like, but they were like they were married for like a couple of years, so quite possibly wasn't. Ah, no, I doubt you were. Yeah, I doubt you were. I like I'm pretty sure I was. Yeah, it, well, like, I mean, it doesn't matter, but it kind of does. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, I mean, if I think about it too much, maybe I will get a bit emotional about it. But uh, you know, they they accepted me, and <laughs> now it's been it's been good so far. Yeah, yeah, you didn't have to go and live with wolves or anything. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah, it's it's kind of mad. What do you think about like? Do you think being the youngest, because obviously like, there's the cliche of like the youngest kind of get like everything's a little bit less uh, strict because yeah, they've, yeah. they've done it. And they're yeah. kind of like, oh, they were all grand. You'll be grand. Yeah, uh, no, I definitely got away with stuff. Um, like my sister really paved the, w- the way, I think, for all of us. Um, like she used to get in trouble <laughs> for, for everything, you mm. know, but there's like there's nine years between us. So there's like a, a big gap there. But uh, I do remember her, like, you know, getting in trouble quite a lot. And and Bobby as well. And then I think when Gary, uh, I think Gary probably had it easy enough. And then, like, you know, me, I was definitely the golden child. Mm. So it was, uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- it, was, it was great having older siblings for, for that reason. Because your parents are kind of, you know, they're, they're figuring out as well. You know what I mean? Like parenting and, and all the rest of it, you know? So especially for the eldest, because it's, you know, Orla's the the first or you're the first or whatever. Mm. So like when you do shit, it's the first time they're 
they're dealing with it. So they don't like they probably don't even know what to do, or, you know. So and then the second one, then the third one, then the fourth one, they have it kind of nailed down. Yeah, totally. Like, and then what the, I, I, always, I always think about that, like how much it will like recontextualize your own childhood when you have kids because you're just going to see it all through the, the other side. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, when you get when you get older, like certainly into your kind of like later teens and and you're wanting to, to do stuff that maybe your, your mom and dad don't want you to do. And like they'll use the classic phrase of, oh, wait till you have children, you know. So, uh, I mean, I'm in the position now where we're expecting our first kid, which is really exciting, you know, and like, I've, I've no idea what I'm going to be like. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think I'm going to be like this really cool, open dad, you yeah. know, but I've no idea, like, especially if it's a girl, you know, and, you know, when she's old enough then to start like dating and stuff like that, you know, I've no idea what I'm going to be like. And what about then being in LA? Because that's obviously like a part that you're like, obviously both, like you and Jen are both Irish and then you're going to have a little baby who's going to be Irish, but also like growing up in America, probably with an American accent. Yeah, yeah, that's that's going to be, yeah, it's going to be mad. Like people are asking us, so is the, are you going to have the baby in America or Ireland? And we are like, no, it's going to be, it's going to be in America and uh, it's due like in December. So... Yeah, I mean, I've I've friends who have had kids, like an English friend of mine who uh, Tom and Casey, she's American, and they have two little girls, and their accents are kind of funny sometimes. There'll be a little bit of a, a an English lilt. Yeah, mostly American though, you know. So who knows what this one's gonna be like? You've done real well with like keeping your accent because I lived in Chicago for a year, and even when I came back, I didn't notice it. But people were like you're just talking weird. <laughs> You, you. I feel like you've kept it pretty consistent. Yeah, like I'd, I'd kill myself if I ended up coming <laughs> home with an accent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, no, like it's, it's not even like it's not even a conscious thing. It's just I just, you know, I just I've kept it. You yeah. know, like Jen, she'll kill me for saying this, but like she definitely gets a little bit of a, a lilt. You know, American lilt. And I mean, you use phrases like you'll call the the boot, the trunk, and you'll go to the gas station, not the petrol station. That And that's fine, I think. But, like, I know uh, I know people, I know a person who had only been over there, like, a couple of months, and I, I met her, uh, you know, out and about or whatever, and, like, her accent had totally changed. And I was like, ah, here, come on. That's ridiculous, you know? So, um, And what about then when you're auditioning or if you're well audition in particular like and if you're going in for like an american role or something how do you do you go in speaking in your irish accent and then switch it or do you just want them to think you're american from the get-go uh, no i go in speaking in my irish accent which probably isn't the greatest thing and uh but like i've done i've done um you know uh classes over there for like for your American accent because everybody especially like Irish people you know we think we, we're great at accents and stuff like that and, and generally we are like we're much better at like Irish people are much better doing accents than let's say Americans trying to do an Irish accent or English trying to do an Irish accent or whatever Irish generally have a good ear for it but when you're actually living there you know you you do I, I felt like I needed to kind of brush up on it or whatever and and it's it's kind of like it's gone well like they'd they're happy with my accent if i go in and audition for like you know yeah yeah it's such a funny thing because i feel like when you're living here right and if i think about going away and obviously i haven't lived in america like and i love america you know the way some people 
give Americans like a hard time. Yeah. And like rightly so, because some Americans are stupid, whatever. But like, I think Americans are fucking great. Like, I love yeah. Americans. I really like, I really like their optimism. I'm yeah. speaking very generally, obviously, but like their optimism and their openness. Whereas, like, but if you if I think about moving away, especially as someone who's you know a writer and an actor like yourself, yeah, then I you kind of automatically think of London because it's just closer and you yeah. don't have to worry about the visa stuff now anyway um, yeah <laughs> so what like when you when you were like let's say when you were in your mid-20s and at that time when maybe people start to leave was LA something that you always thought about or did you do you think if you're gonna go somewhere you would have gone to London or how did that all um happen well you? I I always liked the idea of LA and uh so in 2008, I went over for a couple of months and I said, right, I'll like I'll rent a room and I'll like do a couple of classes and I'll just kind of live there for a while and just see if I like the vibe of the of the city. And um, because London was on my mind also. But like, you know, I'd been to London, uh, you know, a good few times heading over to see friends and stuff like that. And uh as much as I like visiting London, and it is, it's a great city, I just never felt a gra for it to actually, I could never really see myself living there. So I went over to LA, you know, with with the intention of kind of, all right, do I, can I picture myself living here? And um, did a few classes, hung out, you know, I had a, a couple of friends over there and, you know, met up with them and stuff like that. And Jen came over then for for a couple of weeks on a, on a holiday and we, you know, went to Vegas and, and stuff like that. And, you know, came back and I was like, right, yeah, I, I think I can give this a go. And then <laughs> it took me like four years to get my ass in gear to actually, you know, get the, the O1 visa and, and all that jazz. But yeah, yeah, LA, it was always LA above london mm. and i know it's a shit question but do do what what when you think about home uh, does like is, is moving home in the picture or something that you think about i think will happen or do you see yourself being in la yeah i mean i do get asked that question quite a lot and uh like i never say never right like um you know the the, the business that we're in you know anything can happen and uh, i've always kind of like I've always been like five years behind all my friends, right? Really, like like, like the, the guys I've gone to school with and stuff, like they all got married before me. They all got like houses before me. Uh, they've all had kids before me. And I've just always been that few years kind of behind them, you know? Uh, but coming home, yeah, I don't know, maybe. Mm. I, but like, I'll never say never, you know? Like I know for the foreseeable future, uh, like we're there, like we have our green cards now and... And like Jen is doing amazingly well over there. And, you know, there's a couple of things happening for me and stuff. So uh, and we love it. You know, we've we've a great um, network of friends over there that are actually outside of the business, which I really love as well, because if you get too engrossed in it, um, it can be just I, I can find it kind of annoying sometimes you know that if you're just talking about oh what are you doing now you know or not doing anything then you're trying to figure out better ways to say that you're actually not working <laughs> you know what I mean whereas other friends who, who aren't in the business whatsoever it's just like having a chat about whatever the hell is is going on you know yeah 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 no 100% it's one of them places like I'm I like yourself I'm fascinated by I, I need to go sometime and just to see it because it yeah it, you should definitely it's mysterious yeah. to me. you right. can say with us there you go there you go sorted uh, right let's give it a spin 
right, here we go. Next out the gate, we have number nine. Do you have it? Oh, no, 19. No worries, number nine. In your industry, so that's, I don't know, actors, yeah. directors, screenwriters, wherever it might be, who's a person that you would love to work with? Uh, oh, that's a, that's a good one. It can be anyone. For example, the last yeah, person yeah. in here was, a, I think his answer was Spielberg. So, I mean, we've gone we've gone to those heights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, yeah, I'd love to work with Spielberg. Look, there's like, there's like a, a plethora of people that I'd really love to work with. I'm trying to, I'm trying to hone in on one. I mean, I'd love, I'd love to work with maybe Ricky Gervais, you mm-hmm. know, like I, I really love the stuff that he does and uh, like, the Office obviously is, is like that's one of my favorite TV shows of, of all time, um, and yeah, I suppose Ricky Gervais. Yeah, when you think because you, uh, I think that's the theme of the podcast recently. Is I really interested in people who do a lot of different things, like you, you act, you direct, you write, like screenplays, plays, musicals, whatever it is. Yeah. What like, and again, it is another shit question, but do you, but if you have to. If if you were forced right to tear them, all oh, right, yeah. How yeah. how does that work for you, or are they literally inseparable? Uh, I I don't know. Like like, I love all of them. I actually haven't acted in quite a while because it's just the way things have have gone, you know. Um, and at the moment I'm directing, you know, Copper's the musical. Uh, well, my job is done. <laughs> it's over the night tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's done and dusted. But like, I, I love, I love that. Like, I, I love directing, and I love directing comedy. Um, and but at the same, I, I would say maybe I prefer directing to to writing. Uh, because the process is a lot more collaborative. Uh than writing is uh and writing you're kind of you know you're on your own like and and i you know i write from from home and so you're i'm spending my days it's just me and my dog uh snoopy and uh it can be yeah it can be quite lonely you know and it's it's a difficult process sometimes but then like you have days where you go i actually nailed it there and then there's some days you're like you haven't written anything or what you've written is like a pile of crap or whatever. Whereas when you're directing, you know, well, it's funny enough, like most of the stuff I've directed, I've written. So Coppers is the first one where I've been given a script from somebody else. So that was an interesting uh, process for me. But I guess like writing, because I, you know, for the, let's say the Helix Panther or whatever, right? So I actually write that with Claire Ty. So there is a kind of a collaborative process there. So I'm not directly on, on my own, but like I've written a, a play and I've written a one act play. I've written a screenplay and a musical and they were all on my own. And that can, yeah, it can be very lonely. So directing, I guess I do prefer because it's just a lot more collaborative and you're in the room with actors and, you know, you can work all together and all that stuff. Yeah, that was a very long-winded answer to that. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it is it's it's it is true. It is funny when you're trying to like unpack it because I'm the same. Like I always think that if I could divide my time into thirds, that's how I'd want to yeah. want to do it. Probably between writing at, at theater and then I'd like film and TV acting as yeah, well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because like they do all like 
fulfill different things. So even when you were growing up, right, were you, like, was it, and maybe not even apparent to you, but say to your folks or to your family, like, was it very apparent that you were going to end up doing something, like, artistic, something creative? Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, like, I, I had the, the classic conversation with my uh, with my mom, like when I was when I was leaving school or whatever, and I, I I wanted to I wanted to act, and she was like, "Well, would you not, you know, get something a qualification and all the rest of it?" Which I I did, you know, I went to, uh, I went to senior college Ballyfermot to do to do journalism because I was like, "Oh well, you know, I I kind of like writing, so I'll do journalism." And then I just didn't I dropped out, didn't like it. And then I did another course the following year and it was like in, so this is, <laughs> this is back in like 97, 98 around then. And I did a course in computer applications, which was like basically learning how to use Word and uh, is it uh, like the spreadsheet one? <laughs> I can't even remember. Yeah, yeah. I can't even remember the, the applications that I got this qualification in. But, uh, but I did that in order to kind of, you know, have the something to fall back on. And um, but always, yeah, I always wanted to, you know, go into the the entertainment industry. Right. So then. So let's flash forward like uh, like 20 years. Right. And you're uh, your little like bump now, as you said. Yeah. And, and then they're like they're at the age where like, you know, they w- w- want to have that conversation with you. Yeah, yeah. 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 And y- as you said, you went and did the the, the, the fallback thing. In yeah. Case you needed it. Yeah. What do you if you were to be, it's just funny. We were talking about you know how it changes roles. If when you're the foot will be on the the shoe will be on the other foot, so to speak. Yeah. So how, ha, looking back on what you did now, if you were to know what you know, would you be saying, "Oh fuck it, just go for it, no fallback plan"? If you have something to fall back on, you will kind of thing. Or do you think that that was the right thing to do, or is it completely case to case? Well, I mean, I guess it's kind. Of, I guess it is kind of case to case type of thing, like. Like that qualification that I got, you know, that diploma, like, I mean, has done nothing for me and never did do anything for me. Maybe it just kept my mom off my back for like a couple of years or whatever. Um, So like if my if my kid is in a, a similar situation when they're old enough and they have to start making decisions or whatever, you know, I guess I'd find it pretty hypocritical if I didn't kind of just let them go and experience whatever they want to experience you know um i'd encourage them and i'd make sure they probably did it better than i did you know um so i'd yeah i'd advise them you know in certain directions um but i definitely wouldn't I, i wouldn't i don't think i'd force them into doing you know something that they weren't passionate about as long as I, this is it. As long as what they want to do, if as long as they're passionate about it, I think that is the that is the main thing. And if if they're conveying to me how passionate they are, whatever business they want to kind of go into, well then, I'll I'll be happy for mm. sure. And then so kind of bringing it back to what we were chatting about with coppers, right? So you get the phone call off whoever it is, Donal or or whatever about directing coppers, and yeah. you know it's by. Paul Howard and whatever. At some point, are you having a meeting with with Paul and Donald over Skype or whatever it is, and sitting down and like you've read the script and then you're talking through it together? Does that happen in uh, the process or no? That didn't that didn't happen. Like I I got the call from Donald. It was really like out of the blue, and for the first kind of ten minutes of the conversation, I thought he was asking me to be in it. Uh, so I didn't I didn't know that he wanted me to 
directors because I had done five years ago uh, the same producers did Anglo the musical so um, which I was in I was in the second incarnation of that so I'd worked with them before so when the phone call came I I just I thought he wanted me to be in it and uh, in my head I was kind of going I, I don't know whether I, I want to leave LA to, to come home and do that but then it transpired that he wanted me to direct it and like I didn't even I didn't even think twice at that point um, until I had to actually say, hold on a second, I need to ask my wife if it's okay <laughs> that I leave for a few weeks. Um, so I got off the phone and, and I spoke to Jen and like she was straight away, she was like, absolutely, you have to do this. So, um, but we never, and then I, I spoke with Paul before he started writing us, we had a we had a good conversation, but after that it was just wait for act one to come through and just wait for act two to come through and then, yeah, we were kind of ready to rock at that point. Yeah, and so that was interesting what you're saying about <clears throat> because yeah, am I right in saying like at the start of your career you were acting like yeah. more or less full stop? Did you always know that you wanted to direct? And no, yeah, no, definitely not. I because I'm I'm similar. I I don't really have any. I love writing. Like I kind of consider myself fifty percent writer, fifty percent actor, right? Yeah. But I don't really have that directing grow right now yeah where, yeah where did it did it just come from being and stuff and being like I, I think that's a bit shit or like or just starting to see how other people worked and being like i, I could do that or yeah um <clears throat> so i i literally got my my like really i got my training through like the leaks of musical and variety group right the local musical society in in the town i'm from and um you know, they were doing they were doing like pantos and musicals and stuff like that. So when I was like since I was twelve I was involved in some way. And uh so they would always kind of you know, I I'd always be the the kind of funny buttons type character, you know, in, in those pantos when I was a kid. And they'd get these scripts in and you know, we just do them. I never questioned anything or whatever. But just one year I was like, I I'd like to write one, you know, and I approached the committee and couldn't believe it. Like they you know, they they gave me a shot at it, and um, and then, yeah, it was actually I think it was Rita, uh, Ty, who who was on the committee at the time, uh, said suggested that I direct it, and which hadn't really been in my in my thought process, and I was I don't know what age I was then, maybe twenty or something like that, and uh, she so she suggested that I that I direct it and I was like oh I don't know and she goes no you'll be well able for it look I'll I'll be there with you so she was kind of like the co-director but after a couple of weeks she kind of just left me to my own devices and um that was the first time that I kind of ever directed anything and from that point then I I directed like the next few that they did um and then that led to Claire Ty, who's the producer of the Helix Panto, who's also from Leakslip, who also grew up with the um, the LMVG. And she approached me then a few years later and said, look, I want to produce a professional one in the Helix. Do you want to come along for the ride? And I was like, absolutely, absolutely. And I'd actually been cast in the Gaiety Panto that year and I had to then turn it down to start with the Helix. And that's 10 years ago now. Yes, and is it is it weird doing like doing this for example, doing coppers without Claire like there? Because obviously you do something like yeah, <laughs> yeah. It kind of yeah, it was actually you know because everything I've done you know it's always been myself and Claire essentially you know and like we we work 
we work so well together. I mean, now we'd, at the start, it was it was weird because there was just this kind of weird dynamic of who's in charge and who does what. Because we were just learning as we went along, you know. I mean, I'd done a couple of professional, you know, um, shows in, in, in town at that point. Like, I'd done kind of Aikino and um, I'd done the Gaty Panto and stuff like that. And, uh, and then Claire came up with this idea and wanted me along and... Uh, so it was, yeah, we, we were really found, we, it took us a couple of years to really kind of find our feet um, as a working kind of partnership, you know, and like once we got that, it's just been amazing, you know, it's been, it's been a joy. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant, like, and especially like having done it a couple of years ago or whatever, and you hear, you just heard the stories about the first few years, like they're amazing stories about how literally like, just the rise because now like what it's like it must be nearly 90 shows and there won't be a seat do you know what I mean there'll be yeah. 90 sold out shows yeah like like when we, when we first started out I can't remember how long the run like she had uh, she had, and her and her parents are, are producers and like it's a real family affair like her, her parents her mom does the costumes um, her brother and her dad are like co-producers on it and uh, her like her parents put money into it at the start to help get it going you know and like the first the first year like they just lost their bollocks because nobody came to see it but they believed in it and you know we did a second year and it was you know the numbers were slightly higher and then the third year it was getting people were getting to know it a little bit better i think it took about five years really for us to kind of really click you know with the community around uh dcu and and around dublin uh that there was a panto in the helix because everybody knows like the Olympia, everybody knew like the Gaiety, uh, the Tivoli or Liberty Hall as it was. Uh, but this was like brand new. Um, so it took a good few years uh, to the point now where I couldn't get tickets for my family over Christmas, you know, last year. They had to go after like the new year. We couldn't get tickets for them, you know. So it's been an amazing success story um for theater works productions like it's it's amazing yeah and the standard of them is just really good like absolutely especially that year we did aladdin yeah uh, uh, george mcmahon's just incredible <laughs> 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 all right here we go uh number 55 do you have it uh no no worries number 55 uh the question is oh yeah this is kind of interesting one what's the nicest thing someone said about you like anything someone said it was kind of like fuck I'm real glad they said that I'm real glad that's oh, what they seen me in the world this is one of those questions that no matter w how you answer it you're gonna sound like a bit of a wanker yeah but I asked it so it's <laughs> fine put it on me uh, I don't know I don't know man uh, I, I don't know I guess something of along the lines of you know you you make me laugh or something like that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Jen's probably going to kill me because she's definitely said some really nice things to me in the 12 years <laughs> we've been together. You'd hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it's a long, I guess along the, I don't, I don't remember kind of specifically. Yeah. And is that a common thread? Like, do you, because I was interested earlier when you were saying about just going back to then like what you do in the world, whether it's like the, with, you know, the, the like art that you make, so to speak, how important, like, because for me, like, and even, uh, so I dabbled in, like, some stand-up comedy and stuff like that and stuff and really yeah. enjoyed that. But the thing I found frustrating about it probably was that, like, you have to make people laugh quite regularly. Like, yeah. or else you're just kind of not doing comedy yeah. anymore. You're doing a different thing, which is fine. Like, 
how interested like do you feel like you have a a great drama in you or like would that give you the same buzz or do you just love that like instant feedback that a laugh gives oh like are you are you talking about like writing or probably yeah um i know i think i'm just drawn towards comedy you know uh like having said that like you know i do like you know i do like drama and i i do like um like one of the, one of the things with the with the helix uh with with the panto and stuff um i do love trying to have those kind of serious moments you know uh, within the show uh that are that are poignant and that you know might af- affect the audience a little bit you know um and at some point then kind of you know trying to pull the rug from underneath them but just having that that moment where it's if it's between uh i remember one year we did sleeping beauty and lauren nevin was uh sleeping beauty and george was uh was william and there was uh there was a really nice scene in in the in the village uh between them and uh i used i like using underscore from movies and stuff so i used uh marty's letter from back to the future to underscore and it was just a really nice moment and I I love I love being in the audience for that because if because the majority of the audience are it's going to be kids and stuff you know um and if they're quiet listening to that I know that we've done something right you know uh and I do like writing those kind of serious moments but you know the majority of the time I am kind of drawn towards you know making making people laugh and doing comedy and stuff like that did you ever try stand-up no and N- no i've i've it's been suggested a few times but i i don't know like i i just don't think i have the balls to do you know yeah when i moved to la first there was a coffee shop uh up the way and i used to go up there and you know be writing away um and they had an open mic at like six o'clock in the evening so i'd I remember the first time I was like, I'll hang out and, and you know, see what it was like. And, like, there was, like, literally only the comics who were going to do their set, you know, their two or three minute set going up. And there was me. So there was really nobody else in the place. And um, I remember listening to the, like, some of them, some of them were, like, maybe one of them would be, like, funny. Mm. And then the rest were, like they weren't that great like and I was kind of going maybe I will maybe surely I can put two minutes down and I can rehearse it and surely I can get up there and do it um, because I didn't even know the process of it I didn't know that open mics oh you're only going to get two minutes or three minutes or something like that and uh, when I realised that I I kind of thought you know maybe I, I could surely I could do that you know but I never did mm. It just it kind of scared the shit out of me, to be honest. You it know? is re- the first time I did it, I was so scared. Yeah, and it's one of the weird things as well, but but it's because it's also completely acceptable. Like I remember go, uh, the first time I did it, I was in Whelan's, and it was kind of a big crowd. Jesus like, Christ! Yeah, fucking baptism of fire, like big time. And, <laughs> but it's also one of them gigs where like it's totally acceptable to have like two or three points before you do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. just the thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, and like I didn't do that like afterwards, but the first time I definitely had two. I remember having two drinks and just being yeah. like, "Fuck, I need it." How long was your set then? The first it time? was eight minutes, I think. Well, that's that's it's quite long. Quite long, yeah. Man. You know, to be up there on your own for eight minutes. Yeah, but like. Yeah, did I, it fly by though? Yeah, it flew by and it went really well. And I, I like, and I, and do you know, 
it's funny because I don't I haven't done it in about a year because I just feel like there's only like creatively like there's only so much like struggle kind of like I have like I don't, I'm I'm pretty hard worker like I love like getting like an audition thing and like going to town and doing all the work and I like write a lot and I I love doing that but yeah. I couldn't like justify that for another thing for stand ups you know what I mean right yeah but the buzz of doing it when it goes well yeah is possibly the best buzz I've ever had the only other one that's comparable is I think being in a like say for example we did lyrics recently and so yeah. I was in that and wrote it but there's something that I love about writing a thing and being in it and seeing that it works because you're like I it's probably a bit of fucking narcissism but you're seeing like everything you do work on every level do you know yeah, what I mean yeah but like but comedy is like unforgiving you know what I mean yeah. like you know if you go up there and you're on your own and people don't laugh you know it's not gone well mm-hmm. whereas you go up there and and you make people laugh you're like all right great that was that was amazing um if you go like if you're in a if you're in a show that somebody else has written and it's a comedy and people don't laugh you can kind of go well i didn't write it <laughs> you know but you know when it's your own thing and you're up there and you're on your own like i have the utmost respect even for the people who are not good at it i have the utmost respect for them because I just, you know, maybe, maybe someday, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. But, uh, yeah, it is really exposing yourself. The most you can expose yourself with your clothes on, big time, is stand-up comedy yeah. for sure. Yeah, one hundred percent. I'm playing personality bingo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, next to get you have number one. Do you have it? number one? No. Uh, number one. Do you believe in ghosts? Um, do I believe in ghosts? I did for yeah. sure. Um. I did believe in ghosts, but then I, the older I've gotten, I've kind of just kind of got a more logical brain function and stuff. And I kind of go, I can't be like, I believe, I believe there, there's probably energy out there that can affect things. But as for like, you know, apparitions, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. What? What was the thing that when you were younger had you believe? Because I feel like it often goes the opposite way. Like people don't believe and then they see something and they change. Whereas you, was it just like a youthful kind of, like, I hope they're real? Uh, no, we had a we, <laughs> we had a dog, uh, Lulu. And she was uh, a collie uh, Labrador mix, right? Gorgeous dog. And we had this sideboard in the house and we hadn't got it that long. And one day we're just I don't know who was in the room but I I, I I definitely was in the room and watching TV and Lulu just stood looking in the corner where the sideboard was and just was barking and like Lulu was a dog that just never barked and it was just barking and barking and barking we were like what the fuck is she barking at you know and it happened a few times and over that period as well um like the TV turned off uh, a couple of times on its own. I remember uh, a friend of my brother's, we were out playing football and he was inside watching watching TV and uh, he came running out saying, oh, the TV turned itself off, you know? Um, so I, that's kind of the height of my, you know, supernatural experience. But like I've heard stories and I've watched documentaries and stuff like that. And I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm convincing myself again that there are ghosts. Because LA, they say, is quite haunted, don't they? I think that's a thing. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I've think i heard 
I've heard something like that. I haven't heard kind of specifics. Yeah, because I feel like, how true is that stereotype about LA of just the like the volume of actors and writers and comedians and creative pe- musicians? Yeah. Like how, like if you're out like day to day, obviously like you don't know as someone uh, like a, you know, a creative person, but like, are they kind of everywhere? Like when you go to a restaurant, are you kind of like, I'm probably being served by yeah, a struggling. Y- yeah, yeah, y- yeah. Yeah, like it is a lot like and, you know, if you go into Starbucks, you're just going to see like a line of Max and and people writing away like I've I've been that person, you know, and I'll continue to be that person probably as well. Um, But it is. Yeah. Yeah. There is there is a lot. There are a lot of a lot of people out there in the entertainment industry. Yeah. With what you haven't been there for a few years, like does it does it recontextualize how you now view Ireland as a place to work as a like as an actor or a writer or a director? Like in terms of like, does it make you like? Do you kind of see the opportunities there because it's small, or does it make you go, oh my god, it's so small, there are no opportunities? Um, I think, I think. You see, if if you're to do what you're doing in Ireland and then you like transfer it to L.A., you know, the rewards are, you know, a hell of a lot bigger, you know. And I think it's as difficult in in Ireland than it is in L.A. really, you know, like it's 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 a difficult industry no matter where you are. Uh, But I don't know, like. I definitely worked more when I was in Ireland and the fact that like I come back every year to do the panto and stuff and then you know getting the call to come back and do coppers um you know it's great coming home being able to do that um and I've worked a little bit over in in the states but like it's you know it's no great shakes but like the the biggest thing I got to do was I I've, I've written a screenplay um for uh, for Vinnie Jones and his his manager and, and their management company or whatever. So like that, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have been in LA. And if I was to, let's say, write that same script in Ireland, you know, like financially, it wouldn't have been as as rewarding, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah. What Like, and is that because I remember who was it that did this? podcast i'm trying to remember who it was but it was a ah fuck i think it was des doyle and he's a producer and he made this show called uh showrunners right and he's a dublin guy oh yeah 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 and he um and he's br- brilliant dude and he was uh talking about being over in la and he was out for dinner with one of the it could have been jj abrams or someone it was like a really prominent um you know guy within the industry anybody was like that he was like you know people would just were like the waiters and i were shuffling up to the table with like cds and headshots yeah and yeah i was just like man like you because you wouldn't even get that here do you know what i mean like yeah i mean look that like he's he's on a he's on a completely different level to to where i'm at like if he's if he's like doing that show and he's having lunch with jj abrams you know i'm having lunch with my dog at home Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like yeah i mean People are kind of going to know. They're obviously going to know if you sit with JJ Abrams. They're going to know him. They they probably know him as a as um you know the guy from Showrunners or whatever. Mm. Uh, so I mean, personally, I would never do that. I'd never I'd never approach somebody like that and just you know give them my CV while they're sitting down having lunch or dinner or whatever. Like that's not going to get you anywhere for sure. 
Um, yeah, it's it's you know, LA. Here's the thing with LA. There's there's those that are that are at that level and are are doing doing well and working their asses off. Then there's there's the people like in the middle who are getting kind of some work and you might necessarily know who they are. Um, but are they're like as I'm talking about Irish people, like and uh then there's like I mean I'd be at the you know, definitely the, the lower end of the scale and you'll you just try and hustle and you just try and meet people and, and just hope something happens. Like like mm. that the getting to write that script for Vinnie Jones was like a big deal. And that came about just through a friend of mine who's a producer and he got me the meeting and and um that's how that came about, you know. So you know, I'm. You're then hoping that it gets made, and then you know something will come out of that. You know, but like, who knows? Yeah, who knows? I know, but it's really like it is that like, and and does it recontextualize things for you then? Now that you're going to be a dad, and just with all that what we're talking about, exactly that, like of how you know the hustle and like the instability and just the unsureness of kind of. I know you have a few like obviously the Panthers like a staple gig, and you yeah. know that's there if if you if, if you want it or or whatever, however that works, but. For like, how does that recontextualize things now? Just I suppose that, like, you've just got another body to look after. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Tom. I don't know. Uh, like that's, uh, you know, I like I know I know we're expecting a baby and all the rest, but I don't think the kind of magnitude has kind of you know hit me. Um, but I guess like it, here's the thing, you know, like been in the entertainment industry is is like it is so incredibly difficult but it is so incredibly rewarding like when you're working like when you're working mm. we're working now yeah. right and you're going off tonight to a uh, full house at the olympia theater and you're gonna like absolutely kick ass with the rest of the cast and it's going to be amazing right and then there are times though when you know you're you're not working and like the times I've found that I'm not working you know I've you know I've struggled and I, you know, I've you know I've heard you talk about like you know mental health and stuff like that and like like it it's it's really difficult you know and especially when you're away you know if you're mm. if you're here you know you've got your mates you can go play football and, and all that kind of thing and we have friends over there but it's you know it's not your family or it's not like you're really really close friends or anything like that um but i guess the what i've tried to do and what i've kind of learned from people i've met over there um is to kind of this is going to go really deep now <laughs> but it's about it's 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 about like what makes you happy in in your life you know and if if um if you give yourself, like I, I was saying, I always said to myself, right, I'll give myself till I'm 40, you know, and if I haven't like, you know, gotten anything over in the States at that point, you know, maybe I'll come home or whatever. But my life has taken like a different turn over there where I'm actually enjoying my life for what it is and not just because of trying to make it in the entertainment industry as a writer or an actor or a director, that there are other things that I've been kind of... Uh, you know, exposed to over there through through the people I've met, that life is not just about one thing. It's about it's about living it. It's about experiencing it. It's about sharing it with those people that are close to you and stuff like that. And I think when you're like you're an actor or or, or you're in the business, you know, I found I kind of lost sight of that 
um, because you're constantly trying to prove yourself. And if you're not if you're not getting anywhere for a while, it can get you really, really down. But you have to actually then remember, but look, you're you're healthy. You've got you know, I've got friends around me. I've got a wife, you know, who loves me, who I love her dearly. Uh, and we've got a baby on the way and and all that stuff. And it, I guess life for me has changed since been over there because it's not just all about trying to make it in inverted commas. It's it's a lot more than that. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, Did it does. I? No, it's really, and it's really interesting that you like, y- you went to the place where people go to make it to learn that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know yeah. that's not necessarily where you went, but it's really funny that I guess like that, yeah. it makes sense that it would give you that perspective because you, you probably see a lot of people over there who do lose sight of that. Yeah. I mean, look, I, uh, you know, a guy I know went over, he won the, he won the green card lottery, you know, which is like the golden ticket. And he went over on his own and he, he just lasted a year, you know, and I only had my L1 at the time and I was like, oh my God, like he'd, he'd already come home by the time I went over and, you know, the green card is what everybody wants when they get over there. And, uh, and he had it and he lasted a year and he just came home and he was like, Carl, it's just, I just, it was just too lonely and it was just too difficult. I, I, I just couldn't, you know, handle it or whatever. And that's like, if I didn't, if Jen hadn't come over with me five years ago, if I had went over my own, I don't know whether I'd have lasted this long like to be totally honest about it because you know you you meet people over there and it's great and you'll you'll make friends but then you'll discover that you know they live out in venice and you're in north hollywood or they're in los files and you're in santa monica and it's like you'll never see them like because it's just such a trek to get places and the traffic and, and all that stuff so yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. That all started about, do you believe in ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> kind of brilliant. Yeah. Uh, all right, number 23, do you have it? 23, nope. No worries, number 23. Uh, when was the last time you said a prayer? Oh, that would have been, I don't know. That would have been probably five years ago. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I did, but I don't, I don't believe in God now, so. Okay. Yeah. Well, what was, how, what was that evolution? Um, kind of like kind of like the ghost thing. Yeah, <laughs> I just started actually thinking for myself, and kind of went, "Wait a minute, wait one goddamn minute! <laughs> You're telling me there's some dude up in the sky, and his son came down and walked on water, and and all the rest of it." And I just started, I just started thinking, "This is this is batshit crazy," you know, um, you know probably Jesus did exist but I don't believe I don't believe that you know he walked on water and changed water into wine and all that stuff um I I I actually have a, a fundamental like repulsion of religion because it it really has destroyed you know a lot of communities around the world and I know obviously there are there are good things that come out of it um but those same good things could happen if those people didn't believe in religion and they just wanted to be nice people, you know, setting up, helping the homeless or the poor or, um, you know, starving kids and, and all that good stuff. That can happen just by being a nice person and, and doing that thing. Whereas, you know, religion, you know, you look at what happened up the north and you look at ISIS and all those things just stem from religion and um and then all the you know all the 
bullshit that happened with the Catholic Church in, in Ireland, you know, and how under the thumb this country was and then the atrocities that have come out over the last, you know, 20 years or whatever about what they did and how they've gotten, you know, essentially they've gotten away with it in a way, you know, like, I, you know, I don't see anybody been really held accountable for it, you know. Um, and I guess when I started thinking like that, I was like, yeah, yeah, religion isn't for me. Um, and I don't believe there's a, a man in the sky. So will you bring the little bump up at religion? No. Mm. No, definitely not. I've I had <laughs> had this uh, interesting discussion with the with the in laws a few weeks ago, just about like whether we're gonna have the baby christened and stuff like that, you know. And I was like, no, there's no way. I said, I, I just don't want. I can't bring myself to, you know, indoctrinate this beautiful little baby into a club that has, uh, you know, done such awful, awful things. I don't like. I personally don't know why anybody would want to be part of a club like that you know mm. and i call that's what i call it a club but um yeah yeah i don't yeah. have much time for for do, it do you, but that was one of the things that i felt from when i was in chicago and coming home in particular i felt of coming home was just and i don't know was it the nature of i was like more acutely aware of how small ireland is and like i'm from Dunboyne, which would be kind of a comparable sort of a place to yeah, totally, yeah. in terms of geography and size and everything and culturiness and culturiness yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was it was like but like I was really aware and at the time I thought it was like just I, I guess like the conservatism of like Ireland like I was really aware of like yeah yeah like and I was in a kind of a liberal art school in Chicago and no one gave a fuck do you know what I mean yeah. and then coming back do you feel like I just remember like the shoulders being a little bit tighter and the chest being a little bit tenser you know what I mean coming home do you feel that when you come back to Ireland or does it feel like you know as Paul Howard says about coppers does it feel like you know the hug from home and it, it's lovely um like from about how Ireland is at at the moment, like yeah, and well, I mean, and that's a good point too, because then you're coming back to a very different. Like I came back to an Ireland pre, like, and I wasn't away for a long time. I don't want to make it sound dramatic, but like it was before, say, the the gay referendum and before repeal the eighth, for example. Yeah, yeah. So like Ireland's been through some pretty like exciting and great changes as well in the last like yeah five years. So so like. Do, do, does it feel like a very different Ireland you're coming back to or does it does it feel a little bit repressive in comparison with like LA and how like liberal no, that is no definitely not actually like and if you look at America now look I, I like yeah. I'm fortunate enough that I live in a state that is it is very liberal like California is probably one of the most liberal states in America and uh, like LA especially is you know it's it's very diverse and, and all that stuff you know so um, but living away and then like seeing the the marriage referendum happening and seeing the repeal the eighth referendum happening like it made me so proud to be irish you know i remember like for the marriage referendum just kind of looking at the results coming in and i was out we went out for a few drinks into west hollywood uh with a couple of friends of ours mark cleary who's uh from walkinstown and his uh fiance at the time so they were coming home to get married like oscars from um he's from puerto rico so this result was kind of it was determining where they were actually going to get married you know so we went out to uh gold coast in west hollywood and uh we were waiting for the results to come through and obviously it came through in a, in a landslide and it was just amazing and to be with you know mark and oscar was was great you know because 
Mark could come home and and have the wedding that that he wanted to have, you know. Um, and then same with the repeal the eighth. Like it's you know Ireland, Ireland I feel is probably the most progressive country over the last kind of twenty five years. You know, just to from where it has come. You know, where being gay was illegal, uh, divorce wasn't allowed, um, you know, like abortion, you you know, you, you couldn't have an abortion. And, you know, that isn't long ago. That's like that's in my lifetime. It's, you know, in your lifetime. And now look where we are. And it is incredible. You know, this is my first time home in summer time, actually, in five years. And even just walking around the city, it's like just every class color and creed walking around the place you know and um in the cafe beside here you know i i I was having a sandwich and the girl behind the counter who was served me was talking to uh one of her friends who was just hanging out and they were talking i don't know what language i think it was italian i'm pretty sure i would have known if it was italian so maybe Mm. it wasn't italian but like that was fine you know whereas in america you hear uh people who start talking spanish and they get abuse hurled at them you know so ireland is ireland is like the little engine that could you know yeah, it's i yeah. love it I, I i love it it's it makes me very proud to be irish like living away from home yeah big time big time sweet right let's give another spin cool uh here we go number 24 do you have it 24 no no worries number 24 uh what is your definition of success for yourself uh I think the definition of success is is just been, you know, just been happy with with yourself. You know, uh, it's funny actually. I this morning my my brother runs a, a vocal academy out in Leakslip, and he asked me to come in to talk to his summer camp kids. You know, and uh, I I was I was talking to them about you know what they're doing is amazing and stuff like that you know even just doing the summer camp some of them were part of stage schools but some of them had aren't you know this is like the first time that they're singing and stuff and i was kind of i was I, you know you're trying to encourage them and all that stuff and i was i was saying to them look you just just be the best that you can be you know like don't worry about what anybody else thinks don't worry about what anybody else does you just be the best that you can be you know and if if you come to the you know the the end of the journey that is life and you can kind of look back and go Do you know what? i gave it a fucking good good old whack you know i think that is i think that is success mm. for sure well, that's a really good answer <laughs> that was very good i like that okay here we go number 13 unlucky and bingo do you have it nope no worries number 13 oh this is kind of interesting as well what are your memories of 9 11 oh very clear I was, uh, so I was 20, 21 or 22, and I was working as a sales rep uh, for a company called uh, ITG that became Alfira. We, we sold the uh, credit card machines that uh, did the, the ready-to-go, the first kind of ready-to-go top-up uh, cards, mm. right? But they weren't cards. They came out of the credit card machine, like out of the little rolly uh, paper or whatever. Um, and and they were credit card machines unbelievable <laughs> uh so i was on in a shop on the north circular road and i was living in a, an apartment with a friend of mine at the time uh he's still a friend of mine paul dunn and uh we had a place in kilmainham and so i'd gone up to this news agents and i was you know giving them the spiel about this machine and you should get it in and it's the way forward for top-ups and all that jazz 
and uh, I just looked up. They had a small, like portable TV in the in in the corner of the of the uh, shop, and I just looked up and I was like, "What's what's that? Like, what's happening?" Because I just saw the smoke and a building on fire. And he said, "Oh, that's New York," and I was like, "Fuck off!" And he goes, "Yeah," so I was like, "Shit." So I left there because my cousin was living in New York at the time. And uh, I rang, I rang home and I, I asked my mom, I said, have, have you been talking to Kathleen, who's Colin's mom? And she said, yeah, um, we haven't, we haven't heard from him because I, he lived quite close to the two towers. So, um, so I drove home, uh, went back to the apartment in Kilmainham and uh, I sat down and just put on the news um, as the, I think I had the second one. I think it was, I think I saw the second one going in, um, and then was just glued to it for the day. Like I literally couldn't believe what I was seeing, you know. And eventually, you know, we got words that Colin was fine, which was which was obviously great news. But uh, yeah, that is a that is a vivid memory. How much? Um, I was also wearing an awful suit at the time. This pinstripe thing, I always remember that. Yeah, <laughs> the little things. How uh, how how like um, I remember being. As again, when I was in the States, I remember they were really like taken aback by how it was like a big memory for me as well. Because I was the same, I remember where I was as well. Like, and it's a fucking huge memory. It's like a defining memory. Where you where know? were you? I was, I remember coming out of school and being collected by uh, Gavin Ryan, who you're going to be working with in the Panto this year in the Helix. Oh, yeah. By yeah, his yeah, mom. Because yeah. I would have been like, no way. Yeah, yeah. She, she was giving me a lift home from school. And, uh, and I remember her telling us about it. And uh, like not being sure who did it. And what like, age were you then? Um, it was 2001, so I would have been eight. Oh my god! And I remember it vividly. I remember like in the Dunboyne Community Centre car park, and I remember her car, little silver like polo yoke, yeah. and um, and I remember her like kind of theorising about the implications if it was the Russians versus the Iranians versus the Iraqis being like, you know, <laughs> she's saying this to an eight-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight-year-old. I remember it because she was like, I think she was saying it was kind of fine if it was like, if it was you know in the Middle East because like they were like extremists and they were a bit mental which like if it's the Russians were in trouble because they thought this through and, and all this kind of stuff right. and I remember I remember being it's terrified an interesting, uh, yeah rationale <laughs> about it well she was going on the fly as well but I mean it was just mad and I remember flying to I think me and my dad were going to see my first ever match in in Anfield I think uh, we were, I'm a Spurs fan we were Spurs Liverpool that's alright yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm on the right side of that and uh, but I remember being like afraid to fly and I, I just remember it in great detail but the Americans were really shocked that like we not that we knew about it but that it was like as impactful as it was yeah well here's the thing though as well like you know I'd say like a lot of Americans just live in their world of America you know and they wouldn't necessarily like it, look it was obviously a global uh, yeah, it was global news at the time or whatever, but, you know, Americans can kind of sometimes just think that, you know, Ireland is this small little village in the middle of the Atlantic that, you know, doesn't really get news and shit like that. Yeah. So maybe that was part of it. <laughs> yeah, possibly. But, um, but yeah, it was crazy times, right? We have time for one more. Okay. Let's do it. Is that an hour, is it? That's an hour. Jesus. It flies, doesn't I it? I have been talking shite for an hour. <laughs> um, right. Number 41, do you have it? Oh, no, does anybody ever get this? Tom? Yeah, people like, have gotten close. People have gotten five. Really? Yeah. But you see, we were having good chats as well, so we don't yeah. roll as many then. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the trip. Okay. It's the trick of it all. Okay, um, okay here we go. Uh, oh, this is kind of a, a, a weird one to end on, but uh, I can put a positive spin on it. I, I'll make it uh, two-sided. First one, uh, number 42. What is... Th- 41, pardon me. What is your biggest career disappointment? 
I I auditioned for a play about I can't Jesus what's the name of it? Uh the Psalm, what is it? The Oh Sons of Ulster marching towards yeah, the Psalm. Yeah. So I I auditioned for that and um I did a really, really good audition and I got a call back and felt like really good about it and I was getting like good vibes from the director and uh, I really thought I'd nailed it, you know, and I uh, went home or whatever and didn't hear for, you know, a week or whatever and a, and a friend of mine had then just got cast in it and uh, he was saying, no, it's still, they still haven't cast that part and uh, so like the hope was still there and I had I'd only kind of really done like musical theater up until that point so this was like you know it's gonna be my first play and I was very excited about the prospect of it and and then I found out that that part had had gotten cast somebody else got the part so like that actually really affected me yeah yeah it was my my brother-in-law's the the day I found out I was on the golf course in my brother-in-law's stag do and I left I left the golf course and I went home and I didn't go out for pints that night, which is a disgrace. But I was just gutted, like yeah. I really was. Yeah. So yeah, that was my biggest disappointment. And how do you use that? This is my positive spin on it. How like have you been? How do you use like disappointment and stuff like that? How do you respond to it now? Like, do you use it to fuel you, or do you take your? Do you do the thing of like, all right, I need to take you know the day and eat ice cream or whatever the fuck it is, or go for the pints, whatever. It yeah, might be. It'll t- it can take. Yeah, it'll take like. You know, when I get it, it it and I get bad news and it's like, right, that's not happening. It's not kind of like, all right, let's move on to the next. One. Like, it will take me, uh, it will take me a couple of hours and to kind of get my head around it and and just you know go through a bit of a, a process and go right, okay, Grant, let's move, let's move on or whatever. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. it's always a funny one, but um, yeah, we've got a really exciting day we're going to now. We're gonna do the yes. We're going to open Copper's musical, Sold Out Olympia. Unbelievable. I mean, great. we've had four shows so far and the response has been mental. So uh, I'm I'm really excited for tonight. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be great. And then obviously you'll be back in Dublin for the Helix Panther this year. Yeah, yeah um, Robin Hood. Yeah, massive, big, long run. be great. Um, mm. And do you want to just, um, anyone, anything else you want to say? Website, social media, anything, anything um, like that? Well, I guess, it. yeah, I, uh, I'm i at Carlos Tweets on Twitter. It's Carl with a K. And at Carlos Picks. P-I-C-S uh, on Instagram and you can find me on Facebook as well Carl Harper mm. um, yeah that's it sweet Carl Harper thanks for being personality bingo thanks Tom Moore and I really enjoyed it Woo. So guys, that was Carl Harper playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moore. And Carl, if you are listening, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. It was deadly to finally get to sit down when we got you uh, back this side of the pond. And um, I hope you get to do it again because it was a, a brilliant chat. Uh, as I said, guys, come check us out at Copperface Jackson Musical. Uh, you want to see what Carl does? This is a perfect example of it because he's done an amazing job of sculpting this into the little laugh machine that it is. And we are on till August the 12th. Uh, as always, a huge thank you to the brilliant Aaron Lindsay for mixing, editing and producing the podcast. Also, a massive thank you to Connor Nolan for the beautiful artwork, to Leah Moore and Anthony Manley for our overly catchy theme music, and to Alan Bennett and Paddy O'Leary for having us a part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. It's always lovely.
lovely to come in here to the studio and be surrounded by all these other brilliant podcasts and podcasters and just the writers and everything that uh, goes into making head stuff what it is it's a pleasure to be a part of it so guys look i'm gonna leave you there tune in next week when the brilliant peter mcgann plays personality bingo with tom moran